one person actually make a difference in unifying the entire world? What are some tools I can use to live a life of more freedom? These are just some of the concepts you'll hear about in every episode of C1 Beautiful Soul. Welcome back to another very special episode of C1 Beautiful Soul. Today is our Father's Day edition, and of course, I am interviewing my dad. A couple things for you to know. The first five minutes of this interview was taped just a day after he got home from one of his stints in the hospital going through a couple of health challenges right now, which we'll talk about. And I wanted to tape on a different day because at first five minutes, you'll hear a little difference in his voice. He was a little bit more tired and lethargic, but I wanted to include it because you'll hear what it's like to be with someone who's going through some health challenges. Also, I wanted you to hear how he can also have great days and have more fervor in his voice. My dad and I have definitely been on a journey in our relationship. When I was a kid, even though we spent a lot of time together, I often felt very disconnected from him. He was very much into his work. He was fighting a lot with my mom. He was very tough on me, and in some ways I couldn't wait to leave the house. And so I spent many years away from him, and recently... During the pandemic, actually, I moved back home to my hometown and we've been spending one or two days together at least where we spent an hour learning Torah, the Jewish Bible. And this episode kind of does a deep dive into our relationship and how things changed for the better. Another quick thing to keep in mind is that when he says the word yeshiva, he means school for Jewish children. When my dad was little, he was raised very religious in a Jewish neighborhood and he went to a Jewish school. It was a very challenging time to go to any religious institution because it was just after the Holocaust. My dad suffered a severe hearing loss as a child. He had severe speech impediments and the teachers at the school treated him very poorly. They gave him tests for mental retardation. He was made fun of and he also didn't get along with either of his parents, as you'll hear in this conversation. He did, however, get a lot of unconditional love from his grandmother, Bella, who I was actually named after, and he has a cousin, Ed, who he really treasures. I hope this episode inspires anyone who's ever had issues, challenges, difficulty with any of their parental figures in their life, and if it does, please write us either at info at barbheller.com or DM me on Instagram at Barbie Heller. And keep in mind that because I'm not facing him while we're on camera, it's hard for him to read my lips. So it's a little harder for him to understand what I'm saying. Can you sing this a little louder? You want me to say it louder? Uh, yeah, because it's... Is it loud. hard for you to hear me? Yeah. Oh no! Hi everybody and welcome back to another episode of C1 Beautiful Soul. This is my dad, Dr. Oh. Phil Heller. <laughs> And um, I've been looking forward to this episode for a long time, and I never knew exactly when the exact perfect time would be, but it sprung upon us now. And so uh, I want to introduce my dad as saying that he is a father, he is a husband, he is a grandfather, and um, you're really one of the reasons why I wanted to make this podcast to begin with because you were one of the first people I had to learn how to forgive. And um, you made it really easy for me to do that. Please welcome my dad, Dr. Phil Heller. <laughs> dad, without further ado, tell us a little bit about how you got here. What was the biggest forgiveness story? Me to forgive myself. Wow, that's a big one. What does that even mean? Because when you were born, I took on a responsibility of being a dad. But of course, we were human, and I made a lot of mistakes. And while I thought I was doing the right thing by sharing things with you, and I had goals for you, I, I put too much pressure 
because I saw your talents. I saw what you could do with music, with art, and also with people. When you started school, we made little jokes about it, but you were Bob a Bear. <laughs> that was my first Because part. you were in the three bears, the story. I was Mama and Bear. And what could be... <laughs> and you in a bear costume. People love bears. <laughs> yeah, you're Papa a, Bear. A, a sense of warmth. I just adore you have a sister, Pathy, and I pushed her to copying you. Mm. And every teacher you had, I was very proud of you. But what was going on at the same time was that you wanted to please me. And there were times that you got maybe ulcers or pain because you weren't meeting my goals. You're the child coming into the world, and I'm trying to tell you what to do. And you know, it's not that it just happened when you were five. It continues to today, how important you are to me. And we talk about different things that you may want to do. I followed you when you were in theater at NYU, when you were in other programs. I was with you in every rehearsal that you had, or tryout that you had. I remember going for the tryouts at Northwestern University, and I knew you were going to do well. And guess what? You did do well. Okay, but it came to a point where you were afraid, maybe I'm not doing as well as other people were doing. You were doing better than them. But I put such a pressure on you that I shot myself in the foot. Hmm. So the last time we took a video and did a podcast interview, you had just come home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. So you weren't really this like energetic. I thought I would take some time and go over some new questions and also just get to hear your voice um, the way that it is now. You want to sing something? What's your favorite song? My favorite song? Yeah. I happen to like the Carpenters. Oh, okay. Which one? Which Carpenters song? I know. Long ago and oh so far away. That one I know. But what's... <laughs> <laughs> Rainy days and then is always... I want to be close to you as everybody Just else. like me. They, they want to be close to you. Which song do you like from the 1950s? Probably somebody like um, Bobby Darwin. Somewhere beyond the sea. I thought it was Kevin Spacey that sang that because he was in the movie. And he was just in trouble too. Yeah, you? that's why. Yeah. What is the biggest piece of advice you have for fathers since Father's Day is coming up? Appreciate the development and the child reaching out to you so you know them, whether they're five years old or 20 years old. It's to that child inside. Mm -hmm. And you, you learn an, an awful lot yeah. from how they present themselves in the dilemma that they may have gotten or success that they've earned. So if I was going to translate that into non-psychology terms, since you're a psychologist, I would say if a child runs away from you for a while, like I did, and then they come back, you should allow them in and appreciate that? Absolutely. And we've studied, I've seen that in my own office, and I've seen that in the Parshas that we studied. The Parshas, meaning the Torah. The best one for this is what? Is Hashem, God, sees every creature as his own. Mm. And he's very strong on that. Right. And now he's talking about if you're going to teach them, teach them with love. Mm. Instead of, it had to be this way, and this is what it's going to be. And if you don't do it, you're not going to have supper tomorrow. Oof, yeah. And that goes on, and they think that that's the way you discipline 
children. You better do this work or you're not going to eat tomorrow. That's kind of harsh. harsh. You were raised, your childhood was like black and white. Like right. if you don't go to synagogue on time, right. I'm taking away your prizes. Right. That's right. <laughs> and that's what, this is totally different than the way I was taught, be it in Hebrew or English. Right. You're saying the way we learn together. Yeah. That's because I learned from Rabbi Aaron and he's so loving. He was my first rabbi. You met him and Rabbi Seidenfeld and Rav Sharon and Lynn Finson. And all these, I have so many, thank God, Rabbi Zaf, so many teachers that I've learned with over the years in right. Israel and in LA That's right. and in Boca where, or New York, who they're just shining examples of God's love. They just right. want, you know, and I think what's interesting about what you said before is that God, we, everything is God's creation in a way, because we're right. all an extension of God and we all are one. And we have to treat each other that way. But, you know, Grandma Betty, who you love so much, even though she passed away, her Neshama Shavanalia, she used to say that her mother, when she would ask her mother, like every kid asks, when you have multiple kids in the house, which kid do you love the most? Mm -hmm. Grandma Betty's mother, Grandma Sarah, she would say, if I, if you cut one of, I have four kids, and if you cut one of my fingers, it's going to bleed and hurt just as much as the other ones. Right. And so if we all see each other that way, no matter what background we come from, ethnicity, race, yeah. whatever, origin, we all have to treat each other like, like we're part of the same big family. I mean, yeah. Right. But it's... Today, and the reason why I started my podcast, it's very easy to just cut people off and say, right, right. you are bad. You didn't vote like me. I'm no longer speaking to you. There are families that have been separated from the elections that just took place in right. the last two elections. Yeah. What do you think about that? That's not democracy. Right. That's definitely not democracy. But that's also not what the Torah teaches. You don't, just because, you know, someone takes a step or votes a certain way or talks about a presidential candidate in a certain way doesn't mean that you cut them off forever. Where's the learning in that? But democracy requires a certain understanding, right. not only of yourself, but of other people that you're relating to. In democracy, there are people that may want this, but they don't want that. Right. It is up to you to give to one another, to be able to see that's a good idea. Why don't we try that? Because if we do this and we do that, things may work out. As opposed to things must be this way. Right. But that's also approaching everyone with a beginner's mind again. Like, let's be open. Let's listen. Let's talk about things. Right. What's one piece of advice you have for having a successful marriage? Understand the other person and give them a chance to air their full feelings about an issue. Whether it's child raising or housekeeping or having a job. Be respectful. Don't try to control the other person. No. And some people get married because they can't control that other person. Mm -hmm. And then they get frustrated. Open your mind to what the person has to say. Give them an out in terms of why they are saying what they are. They have, may have come from, most likely they've come from a different developmental background. They have a history when they started in school and all the way up to being 25 when they're getting married, there's a difference. Not everybody is cut from one piece. And sometimes it's hard to hold back your horses and agree with, with the other person because you don't, he says, I wouldn't think like that. 
But why don't you give the other person a chance? Yeah. Ego. Ego is our enemy. That's right. What do you like about learning Torah? I respect the thing that's been around for thousands of years. Yeah. And it continues to go. Not only do we have one statement, but we have interpretations of those statements to understand where they're coming from. And it's not simply cut off like, well, these are fairy tale. Right. Or it's archaic, so there's nothing to get here. Right. Well, what did you learn about this, the practice of it? What does that mean? Like when I told you, okay, you have two diagnoses, Parkinson's and early AML leukemia. Yeah. We're going to nip this in the bud. We're going to, everything is energy. And if we have a set time once a week and we learn Torah together, you're going to improve. Right. So do you know that to be true? Has that helped you? I love doing it with you because you're my daughter. I, I'm proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. But, you know, you're not coming across to me and say, look, I've been in Brooklyn for 15 years and I know all of the Bible. You to teach it from your heart. And I think that's the way Hashem wants it, because we're all his children. But you also teach me. That's why we call it learning, not teaching, because when you sit down and learn Torah, even if it's the biggest rabbi in the world, they always say, I'm going to learn Torah with my students, because you ask questions I would never come up with. And, you know, just because I, I like when it. you say, that's a good question. Let's look at that. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I grew up in your house. Yeah, you and did. We never sat down and, and, and opened up this thing called the homage. We, we never did that, right? No. But it took me 30, 40 years later to say, let's sit down. It's time now. I think that people in my generation, a lot of us went on birthright, went to Israel and went, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Let's, let's, do, let's bring this back home. And a lot of our secular families from the 70s and the 80s, we brought... We brought Torah into the house again. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? It was meant to be. Yeah. So you brought the Torah back in in a way that it could be understood mm -hmm. and not be a provoking. Yeah. You often will say, God, this is so different than how I was raised. Because when you were in yeshiva, what was that like? What was it like to be there? It was like you were always doing wrong. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, let's take a look at what you're doing. Like the essence of crossing the Red Sea. The Reed Sea is the Yom Suf when Moses and the Jewish people were coming out of Egypt. And also there were Arab rabs. There were, there were people who weren't Hebrew or Jewish, mm -hmm. but said, I want to follow this, this group. They look like they know where they're going. Do you think that studying Torah has helped you physically? Physically. I know it's helped me mentally. How so? In working with client patients, it's not just a quick fix answer. It's what I learned in the Torah is give it a chance and think about this. Is this the right way? So let's turn the whole thing around and say, if you're going to say something in favor of the mother, oh, right. think, you may hurt the father. Right. So let's talk about that for a second. You helped change legislation in the state of Florida. I mean, you did a lot of things yeah. uh, in terms of the court here yeah. because you were a very famous expert witness as yeah. a forensic psychologist. So you worked with a lot of criminals and you helped them get less but, but of a it, sentence. But it was also divorce court. 
Right. So you worked with a lot of people who had paternity cases. And um, what would you say the biggest, some of the biggest things you learned from that were in terms of like the abandonment, like a parent talks about another parent in front of the kid. Alienation. Alienation, parental alienation. What do you feel about that? What did you learn about that? They're not really showing the love that the other child deserves. Right. You said against the other child, but you meant parent. But right. really, we're all God's children. It goes back to what you said. Yeah. Treating everyone as a child. They're looking to gang up the data against the other person. But that's not loving. If every parent, right, whether it's a mother, father, or two mothers, or two fathers, or whatever, walk into court and they say, I want full custody. I guess in some cases, that should be, right? You could argue there's some people that just don't belong raising children, right? right? But how often is that really the case? You worked in Bellevue Hospital in New York City. Yeah. You, you've worked with some... With the world's largest psychiatric hospital. Yeah, so you've worked with some pretty difficult psychiatric right. patients. So Pilgrim State, like right. 14,000 people. Out of the cases that you worked on, yeah. how many of those people not capable of spending any time with their children? Well, I would go a little distant. While they may not be capable of take being alone with their child. There may be moments where they can tell a story or a little bit of history where that child can learn something. I remember my father told me this story. Yeah. And it really means this. It's not a yes or no. Uh-huh. The binary thinking doesn't work today. Right. Because every parent that's equipped, quote unquote, yeah. to spend time with their children, right, can also have a few moments of vulnerability or, 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 you know, craziness or whatever you want to call it. I don't know what the correct term is, but not, not being looking or feeling or seeming so equipped to be with their kid. And I know that because I was raised by two parents that lost it several times and it was really painful. I I think what is so special about our relationship is that I decided a while ago that I was not going to allow myself forget you I wasn't I wasn't going to rob myself of getting to experience the good part of you it took a lot of patience and a lot of telling myself like I'm going to find the reason why my soul picked him to be my dad because when I started studying Kabbalah and Torah and it took a long time for it to really marry we all chose our parents like just like you chose my grandma and grandpa there was a, you were like, oh, I'm coming down from heaven. I'm going to pick those two because I'm going to grow the most. But part of the growth, in my humble opinion, that I've learned now after 45 years of being your kid is that <laughs> it's not just about the halachas, the, the, the Jewish laws, which is, by the way, very short. It's like, don't speak badly about them publicly or privately. Clean up after them when they're older and they, they can't do it themselves. Take care of them, feed them, clothe them, give them a proper burial. Yeah. And you, you're not supposed to interrupt them. If they take your wallet, you have to let them take it. And if they spit on you, you have to, you have to take it. You have to say the mourner's prayer after they pass away for a year, every day. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, but that's like, that's the, the nuts and bolts. But to me, it's more than that. What I've learned is we actually have an obligation as much as we can mm-hmm. push ourselves to spend time. Now, again, I've said this so many times on my podcast, I have to say it again. I'm not saying throw yourself into the lion's den and be with someone Uh who's physically, emotionally, or sexually abusive. No, but I will say there's a caveat that sometimes someone who in the past was very mean or may have shown 
you know, what textbook emotionally abusive behavior can really change when, as right. they grow, I think that we all have to do some introspection on what that really means and how much we can allow in that relationship as we grow. Half of it is the way the other person is in the relationship. The other half is us. And so if we come into the relationship saying, I'm going to allow all the goodness here. Mm -hmm. And if someone steps on me or does something wrong, I have the option to walk away or put up my boundaries and say, this is unacceptable. And so through a lot of trial and error over the past several years, we've learned how to have like this great relationship because I put up my boundaries and I kept talking to myself. I am not going to put myself in an unsafe situation. And I really want to see what's here to learn. And I think mm -hmm. on the other side of that rainbow is like a pot of gold because I feel that honestly, my heart has healed a lot. Sorry, I'm supposed to be asking you the questions, but I no, want that's to fine because I got something to answer. Oh, go ahead. That the parent is also important in many different ways mm -hmm. to recognize their strengths. No, we don't have to run through the weaknesses. The man has passed away, okay? But let's talk about today or prior to him passing away. Right. Well, at Shiva and also at the funeral, you're only supposed to talk about the good qualities and you're supposed to exaggerate them because it's the time when the soul is going back and God wants uh -huh. to hear all the good stuff. People to talk and express their good feeling. To, to beat up on somebody who's already passed away, who's going to learn from that? Right. By expressing your feeling of how you love the person and why you love the person, that only leads to more growth. Yeah. And I think in my house growing up, there was a lot of, not intimacy, but external, like everyone was yelling and people were constantly bringing out the bad qualities in each other. And I'm going off the model that you and my mom had, because I think you were both so young and so immature when you got married and you hadn't lived on your own yet. And you just would constantly take the bait and yell at each other about all the shortcomings you had. And I actually had to learn that when I was with you, I should share when I appreciated something you did and you would be so happy. And I didn't even realize it as I was growing up, I just followed in your footsteps because I'm the older kid. And I would also be like, I don't like that. And I would just complain a lot. I was like kind of spoiled. I also was kind of miserable because no one was like asking me, how are you doing or making a space for how I was doing. But as I got older and I found that those spaces outside the house in camp and in theater class, I was finding my ways to have intimacy through kindness and unconditional love. And when I came back to you later on in my life, once I felt more whole, yeah. I was able to say, hey, let's not go down that road anymore, dad. And also there's that famous saying, can you imagine if the person was actually there at the funeral to hear all the good things people said about them? Yeah. Like we should be doing that all the time. Why? What are we afraid of? Why aren't we sharing how much we care about each other right now? Mm -hmm. There's something to that. We okay. are, we're living in a time when it's scary to be intimate. Oh no, one second. Let me just, maybe that's why people like podcasts so much because they know it's going to be, no one's on their phone when they're doing a podcast. They're just for an hour, they're being themselves. What's it like going through chemo? There's a whole range of feelings. You know that you're in a treatment that is trying to kill poison and you can't help but think, what could this poison really do to me? You can't think, help but think. When I was 24, 25 in school and doing all kinds of things, I never thought about this stuff. Now, all of a sudden, I'm thinking about death. Then 
the little problems that come up from the chemo. It's not like you have a flu and you, you take a, a medicine and it's gone in, in a week. It's, got, it's not gone. And then you go to another doctor and you wait for an hour and then they want to tell you how far you progressed or not progressed. And it's, it, it's dealing with frustration right. because they can tell you, we need to do it again. So why don't you come back in five days? Right. It's like going in a circle. Yeah. Well, one thing we always talk about now that I've been learning from Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Bruce Lipton so much about Wayne Dyer because he had cancer and I know you were a big fan yeah. of his and you both lived in the same places and worked at the same hospitals and went to the same schools. And he went to St. John's where I went. Yeah. And taught there when you yeah. were there. And then you both moved to Florida. I'm not saying chemo's wrong, but medicine breaks things down and kills things or it blocks pain. Whereas food like healthy food and and learning like spiritual texts, whether it's Torah or something that makes your soul feel alive, that's all energy. And I've fought you, but you've done meditation several times and you've been part of these coherence healings. And there's been times where you were in the hospital and they were like, oh, he's not good. And we did the coherence healings and you went on Zoom with 40 other people who were sending you light. And it sounded crazy, but you got out. Yeah. So what do you think about that? Do you think that there's anything to this idea that what we're doing every week, learning Torah and changing the energy and then doing meditation together and praying yeah. and breathing and then having you do the coherence, do you think there's any respite in the disease when you do that? Do you think you're you're growing and you're healing? It's the unknown. And then you have, you separate a side effect. What it teaches you though, is not to lose your patience. Now, as a younger man, which you knew me, I lost my patience a lot. Yeah, you're so different now. So could it be a gift if you learn how to be more patient? Yeah, because you better do it. <laughs> you better develop some patience or else you're going to be very miserable. I went to a patient's house one to evaluate his head trauma. Went into the kitchen of the patient and the wife, and I asked the patient if he had any medical report that we could look at. And he had an aide. The aide looked at me and he said, I'm not sure where they are. And the man went absolutely bonkers. We have you sitting here in my kitchen and you can't do it. An easy job. Just find the papers that the doctor's waiting for. So he was impatient and it made his head trauma worse. And there was no understanding from the man to the the aide. Often I, I would meet with an aide or a spouse. And they would tell me all the medications, which would help in my diagnosis. I keep thinking about this man, screaming, and the wife kept, was sat next to me. That I can't keep him here. I'm going to put him in a home. Yeah. So let's go back for a second because you started talking about lack of patience, right. but now you actually have a lack of patience, like your clients. Oh yeah. So what was that like? Because you were forced into retirement and you thought you were going to do it at least another year or so, right. maybe two, maybe never. Cause you loved your job so much. So at 75 years old, just about to turn 76, you get so sick that you can't work anymore. Yeah. I know you got your doctorate when you were 40, because I remember being with you when you walked across the stage at mm-hmm. Nova, you had been working, going to night school and doing your residency for right. such a long time. Cause you were always trying to, support the family and also work. And so I think you were 40 when you got it. So you've had the practice for like 36 years. So what was it like to have to close the door at 75, 36 years 
and it was such a big part of your life. You constantly fight with yourself because you try to think, well, maybe if I did something this way and that way, I'd be able to stay in practice. Mm -hmm. My secretary were finding that I was making mistakes. Because of the Parkinson's, yeah. Yeah. Eventually, we got through it. And then people still remembered me when I was in practice. And my secretary would say, but they need you, they want you, but we don't have any room to fit them in. I spent so much time developing the practice where people would just be referred over. Which is what you got. Which is what I got. you were really good at it. And now I'm saying, can't do it anymore. And I, I feel very funny because that was my identity. Now that it's been like six months. Yeah. yeah. What is it? What's your new identity? Being a father is one of them. <laughs> it is. Reading things that I want to read, that are forced to read, you realize what kind of identity you have. So attached to that name and your phone yeah, number. We like to hear people say, hey, Dr. Heller, how you been? You going to that seminar in New York? When I go around town here, everybody's like, of course I know who your dad is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He worked on that big criminal case and mm-hmm. helped that person instead of getting life in prison, they got 20 years. Yeah. Or, you really are on the side of a lot of criminals. Well, you want to give the jury and the people an understanding. Because it's so quick to make a snap judgment, even when there's murder involved. Right. It's a human being in there with a set of big problems. That's right. So how do you think we could stop school shootings then? (laughs) I'm only asking you the easy ones. That's an easy one. (laughs) When the massacre occurred in Texas. Yeah, recently, 1900. And so many little 10-year-old children. And teachers. Yeah. And two teachers dead. They, they, they're not going to get a chance with life. Um, why? How do we stop it? It turned out I had written a, a, a paper on shooting gun control in children. It's not just taking guns off the street. Which we're very much for, but... <laughs> because the real law is the person loses control, even for that 15 minutes. And then because the gun is nearby, or the window is nearby, they act out. Right. Like Nathaniel Brazil, who was one of your, was he your first school shooting patient? Was he my first? 2001. I think he was. Well, he was the first one that I knew about. Because when you called me and you said, are you sitting down? I'm representing a 13-year-old kid in court. Right. He shot your teacher. Yeah, oh, it was alive? different said, no, for us no, because Mr. Gruno was your teacher. Yeah, and Kevin. And here I was evaluating Nathaniel. Crazy. And and having to fight for Nathaniel's rights as an American child who picked up a gun and yeah. killed a teacher who's 13. He's being tried right. as an adult. First kid in, in the United States, the first kid in Florida. But I think you said he was the first kid being tried as not juvie, like oh, as an adult yeah. in, in the state of Florida or in the United States. It was before Columbine, wasn't it? Yeah. You were his voice. My, and everybody thought, he shot the teacher at the end, put him away. Right. Well, maybe we need to look at this. Yeah. And also, great yeah. example of he didn't just have mental illness, he had a psychotic break. Yeah. Well, I was talking about it a couple of days ago when they put some of the suggestions for the restructuring of the law in regard to guns. 
Yeah. Nathaniel was not a wild... Bill Clinton wrote him something, right, on a piece yeah. of paper? Right. Was he a Rhodes Scholar? What was his... No, what no. was it called? But he was involved in activities in school. Yeah. He was a, he was a, he was a good kid. It's not like, well, he's mentally ill, so take the guns away from him. Would you have seen the signs that he was not well mentally before this no. day? No. But what happened is you, you watch the tension build in this kid. He's a good kid that wanted to make a good impression because he's a good kid. And teachers will understand this. They were playing water balloon on the front lawn of the school. The last day of school, right? Pretty much. Throwing the border balloon, but having fun. And, and that's maybe what kids do. Oh, it's definitely what you do in Florida because it's so hot outside yeah. that it's like the only sweet thing kids can do on the last day of school that kind of makes sense. And the teachers go, all right, let them have it because <laughs> it's like 100 degrees out. So Nathaniel is playing water balloons in front of the school and the teacher comes over to him and says, Nathaniel, get back in the school and you're going to be suspended. For the rest of the year, the of the even year. though it was the last day of school, which was like a really stupid thing to so say. So how are we going to suspend him? Why suspend him? And why just him and no one else? Right. Yeah, he was single that Because out. you can. He's the kind of kid you can go over and say, get in the room. And he's not the kind of kid to say, the last day of school is so good. Right, you. yeah, he's actually going to feel it. He's going to feel that empathy, like, oh, what did I do? I did the wrong thing. Right. Yeah. And the teacher was picking on him because the teacher was probably feeling really disrespected. Yeah. I know I've been that teacher and I've said the wrong thing sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So here he is. He goes back into the school. He was taught shooting from his uncle. Oh. He had a gun. At home. At home. But he didn't have anybody at home. To say, don't do this. To say, what happened? Oh, we'll, we'll take care of it on Monday. Don't worry about it. Right. And he's upset because now he has a bad name. He's doing something wrong. And when you're in eighth grade, that's yeah. the end of your life. Right. So he felt like he was going to die anyway. That's right. So he goes to the school, but his mom was working, aunt was working, everybody was working, and he had no one to go to. And he had no father figure. I thought you had said that it wasn't good at home. It was tense at home. Anyway, he goes back to school. Goes back to school. And he's angry. And in that moment when he's angry, because he feels embarrassed. And what is everyone saying about me? It's all about him. Right? All about him. Yeah. It's so normal in eighth grade. So he takes the gun with him to school. And as he goes to Mr. Gruno's class and holds the gun up. And by the way, Mr. Gruno was a saint. He worked at my school here in Boca Raton and moved to the inner city school that Nathaniel went to because he felt it would be more of a challenge for him. And he was such a great guy. He reminded me of like Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. He looked like Shaggy and he was so fun. And on Halloween, he would always dress up in a fun costume and everybody loved him. He was just so loved. So here you have a, a youngster, an adolescent actually, who's trying to reconcile in his own mind. What did I do? I started a water balloon fight. He takes the gun out and he points it to Mr. Bruno, tries to calm him down and says, Nathaniel, Put that toy away. He thought it was a toy. And here the tension is building, building, building. And Mr. Bruno gets shot. One time, right? Yeah. And killed. Mm -hmm. Leaving behind a wife and a baby. Right. But are you going to say, well, he was mentally ill. But where's the mentally ill? Is it because he's in eighth grade? He's an adolescent? And he's having moments of catastrophe. Is there a reason? Because he had a gun? 
So, yeah, the government is available, but it's not just mental illness. Right. It was a psychotic break. Right. You're going to find a lot of youngsters who are going to act out because they're teenagers and... Well, they're also watching video games, television, shorts on their phone, commercials even, Mm -hmm. uh, YouTubes. Yeah where they're glamorizing having a gun. Right, but also it shows power. And they're listening to music that says it as well. That was very normal back in in the early 2000s. Jim Carrey, I think, in Liar Liar, says that line as a joke. And I remember imitating him and thinking it was funny. But it's not funny to joke about gun violence. And we think it's like, okay, that's just, we're so desensitized. But it's more than that, Dad. I really think that... As a kid, I think I would have been less catastrophizing had I been learning, you know, spiritual texts and laws, you know, just the seven Noahide laws, Noah's Ark. He followed these seven laws. And basically it's like, don't be cruel to others. You don't kill, you don't steal, you don't adulterate, don't be cruel to animals. These are like basic principles that no one's learning in school. And yet... We have such an emphasis on treat everyone kindly. Well, how do you do that if you're not taught how to treat yourself kindly? If you do unto others, right, the golden rule, which Hillel said, if you want to learn the whole Torah, love others the way that you would want to love yourself. But what if you don't know how to love yourself? What if there's no one at home that's making a space for you? And I grew up in a home where I felt like I didn't always have a space for me. That wasn't your intention, nor was it my mother's. I know that the two of you love me more than anything, but sometimes very well-meaning people, even Nathaniel's mom and aunt and uncle go wrong because just don't have the time to sit down or you don't make the time and learn laws of something bigger than all of us that wants us to get along. And I think if we could just embrace that for a second every day sit with somebody, no phone, learn with them, be intimate with them in terms of telling them how much you appreciate them and making a space to really share how you feel. What's on your heart? Are you having a bad day? No, don't just say it. I was fine. Really share it because it's in the conversation and dealing with issues, the day-to-day difficulties of being a teenager in today's day and age. If we don't take the time to sit and parent and really be there, you can really go off the rails. That's right. And that's called mental unwellness. And it doesn't have to be that you're bipolar, depressive syndrome, anxiety. There's so, people have lots of moments when they feel depressive feelings or anxiety. And it doesn't mean that they have a disorder. It just means in that moment they felt. So that was really helpful. Thank you. What's your future? Uh-huh. My future? It's what I can try to create and try to have some people I'm close to to be part of it. What do you want? What are some of your goals? To continue doing the study with you. I think we need to understand that the Bible has taught us. It's very important to connect us together. We to travel with the family. We got to go to Israel. Yeah. What they want to do. Encourage them to the family to develop their craft. They're in the theater. Let's go more. Let's try not necessarily the biggest on Broadway, but there's some room there. But we have to do that. You've always been so supportive of me and the I audience. am, and I think that's really important. No matter how old I am, he's always like, try, do more, which is amazing because yeah. sometimes I can't always pay my bills. Um, last thing, what's one thing everyone, after all these years of seeing patients every day, yeah. And all these years of studying people in America with major issues 
and being through the court systems time and time again, fighting for people's rights as a human, civil rights. What's one thing you would recommend to everybody to live a life of pure freedom? What's one thing we could all do? Respect other people for their rights, for their practice of democracy, and that encourage them to develop themselves as far as they can go without frustrating themselves and their family, but enjoy it because they are opportunities. So that one thing is developing. You were born to develop yourself. Mm. Let's continue. Thanks, Dad. I love you. Happy Father's Day. Thank you. Here's some nuggets of wisdom from this episode. My dad had to forgive himself for being very hard on me in terms of my end results or producing the end results versus allowing me to be a kid. And what's so beautiful is only recently, like in the last five, six years, has he really come to terms with it and forgiven himself and thus asked me for forgiveness. It's a lot easier to forgive someone who has forgiven themselves and earnestly asks for forgiveness for something than doing it on your own. And I, I say that because I've had to do both. Um, and, and also with with this person, I had to forgive my dad from afar when he was like ignoring my request for forgiveness conversation. And I've also done it when he's earnestly asked me for it. It's really great. But if you don't get that chance, there's still so many other ways that you can forgive someone without ever seeing or hearing from them again. And even when they've passed on, but it does really help when they come to you and you can see that they've worked through a lot of their own pain towards their own self and they felt the weight of their errors, you know, and you realize that you could never do or say anything that could actually change the person or make them feel more quote unquote, sorry for what they did. In fact, uh, earlier in season one, I had a guy named ambition who is the first foster care poet. You should look him up, um, on this podcast. And he has a beautiful recounting of how he finally forgave his mother when, he, uh, he was 26 years old. And please go back and listen to that episode if you haven't, or even if you had, cause it's worth listening to. My dad says, always appreciate that your kids are kids. If a child runs away from you for a while, allow them in when they're ready and accept them immediately and fully. He says, God says in the Torah, quote, teach them with love. My dad was raised with such harsh teachers and religious teachers at that, including his parents, and such harsh black and white thinking really made him want to run away from religion and spirituality the way a lot of people feel. Um, But he feels now that it's actually a guiding light in his life. And he's learning Torah with me, with his wife, uh, with also people in his life, like our rabbis that we share and other friends who are very spiritual. Grandma Betty, who I reference in this episode, is my mom's mom, and she was like a mother to him. And her mother was Sarah, grandma, my great-grandmother, Sarah. Uh, my dad never met Sarah, n- neither did I. Uh, but they taught me through my grandma's teaching that we're all connected and we should all treat each other as one big, beautiful soul, one big, beautiful family. We didn't get political here, but we did talk about the word democracy. My dad really believes in this idea of democracy and allowing one another to to take time to hear each other out and share from your heart and respect one another because that is what true democracy is to him and I agree with that. Uh, We wind up talking about democracy a lot as we learn Torah because if you take out the newspaper and you put it right next to the Parsha of the week in the Torah in the Bible, you'll see that there are current events that totally go along with that week's Parsha. I learned that line from my friend Stewie Wax who's a giant spiritually and helped create the 
last community that, that I lived in, in Los Angeles. And without fail, every week, something that we talk about that's biblical is definitely on the rise in modern day times. So what my dad was saying here is we need to respect one another and hear each other out and realize that we may have different goals, but no one group can take full control or responsibility for one another. He says he loves learning Torah because it gives him a foundation for how to see the world. And he's really grateful that he has that because there have been times in his chemotherapy or when he first got his diagnosis or when he first had to realize that he was being forced into retirement where he really lost his sense of what his guiding light was in the world. My dad says, we learn in the Torah that when the Jewish people or the Hebrews just want to leave the desert and they don't want to stick around for yet another commandment, their attitude is high and mighty. Like, we got out of Egypt. Let's let's leave with the cool stuff we got. Let's take this mana and go, you know, um, because they were feeling like, what if we stick around? Is God going to punish us more? Will we be enslaved again? Will we have to get more commandments? And they complain. They complain about the mana that comes from heaven. It's actually in this week's Parsha. They fall from grace because even though they got to such a level where they used this incredible faith they had to go out into the desert, leaving, leaving Egypt, leaving their slavery behind them after 210 years, they also, even though they took that big leap of faith, that it had to be better out there where there were no grocery stores, <laughs> no end in sight of, of just heat and sand, there is a part of them that feels very high and mighty once they receive the Torah in the desert. And they're like, we don't need God anymore. He took us out. Now let's, you know, do our own thing. And doesn't that sound familiar? Doesn't that sound a little bit like a teenager to their parents? Like I was to my parents, you get, they raise you, they, they clothe you, they feed you. Maybe they make some mistakes along the way. And you get to 18 years old and you're like, I'm leaving. I you took me to this point. You really messed up in this, this, and this. So I'm just going to look at your shortcomings and then I'm just going to leave. At the same time, we always have the ability to come back home to God, to our people, to our community and repent and say, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I wasn't so humble. Maybe I won't act like that again. Maybe I should still appreciate you for the rest of my life and sometimes go to you for guidance or appreciation or even just to spend time with you because you gave me life. And it's very easy, I think, nowadays for kids to just walk away and never return and forget the parents how much it must hurt them what does it do to the child we as adults as parents as teachers as community leaders as someone just walking through the grocery store we always have to make space for kids to come back home so to speak and repair their relationships even their relationship to their fellow humans i brought home torah after going to israel after growing up in a home where it wasn't studied and god was never mentioned i learned i got really inspired by going to India, Thailand, Japan, finding God, finding this concept of there's someone bigger than all of us. And I want to connect to that being and I want to bring that into the house and back to my family, the family that I don't see that often because I, I moved away from them. But also I'd like to bring the study of Torah, the study of Bible, whatever your Bible is, whatever the spiritual texts are that move you, bring that back to your home. Even if it wasn't something that was practiced as a kid, see if you can challenge yourself and the social mores that your family set up for you. See if you can just do 10 minutes a week at uh, the same day and time every week, whether it's on Zoom, whether in person, see if that heals your relationship and maybe even a physical challenge that one of you may have. We talk about how my dad feels like studying Torah with me at a fixed time every week has changed his physical challenges. I have noticed that on the weeks that we study, he 
has platelets that sometimes go up and it's kind of exciting and it goes along with what Dr. Bruce Lipton and Dr. Joe Dispenza say and Dr. Wayne Dyer, as I mentioned, I kind of skimmed over his name, but I meant to say Dr. Wayne Dyer very clearly, who was a teacher of my dad's at St. John's University right before I was born. And they all say that the mind can create matter. So the cells in our body are always talking to one another and our mind, our thoughts talk to the cells. And if we think good thoughts and we put ourselves in a good environment, we can bring about changes, positive, physical, emotional, mental changes in our body. And the study of great spiritual texts can really just empower all of those functions. My dad talks about how he was an expert witness, a very famous one in the courts and jails in South Florida for over 30 years. He talks about parental alienation, which is something that I'm familiar with. I have a lot of friends that unfortunately um, have gotten divorced and their kids may or may not speak to them, or maybe their kids don't talk to their former spouse and it just gets so ugly and there's so much pain involved and everything seems triggering for everyone in the family. My dad says that a quick fix to that is by both parents, or if there's more than two parents, looking at one another, respecting one another, as though we're all children, we're all God's children, as opposed to, you had them for this much time this week, and I'm going to fight for full custody because I just don't want to have to deal with you anymore. If, if everyone can take their own responsibility and be as respectful as possible and find ways to include everyone in the most amount of time that is available to everyone in, in a healthy, respectful way, then everyone can win. Now, I myself decided a while ago that I was not going to let myself miss out on getting an A on my sole course of my dad. I was told a long time ago in my 20s when I, I first really started going to therapy, I, I went even as a teenager, but in my early 20s, I was going to therapy weekly. And one of the best uh, therapists I had at that time said, you can't get an F in the course of your parents. In other words, that's something that your soul has to take. It's a class that you have to take. And you also have to show up for all the classes and you have to try to get an A. And that idea haunted me. And when I was really not getting along with my dad and really feeling just very high and mighty and proud and not humble and feeling so justified to be angry with him and having ulcers and irritable bowel and, and difficulty in my life with dating and, and wondering, why am I having so many problems? I have such a horrible father, but I'm away from him now. You know, all of that was so related. It was when I started forgiving him from afar that things started getting better. And then once I decided to do it in person and really fully give myself to what if there was something here in our relationship that could actually benefit both of us. And what if, if I put up my boundaries in a healthy way, I could actually have a really loving relationship with him. And then that's when everything really changed for the better. I have a friend named Carmen who I met through the Dr. Joe Dispenza Coherence Healing Groups. And she dared me to sit with a pencil and some paper every morning and just write for 10 minutes for a week of time and see if I could just pour out my heart to all the things that always bothered me about my parents and dedicate one day to my mom, one day to my dad and just divulge everything. And I really resisted it. I did not want to sit with it. I was like, I already did this. I went to therapy. I don't want to bring it all up again. Something told me, you know what? It's the pandemic. It's not like I'm every hour busy, busy, busy. I can give myself 10 minutes every morning and add it to my morning routine. And I did. And wow, the tears that came out and the growth that happened and starting some of the pages with, I really forgive this part, or it must have been hard for them to, or 
this is what I wish I would have been able to say, or this was so painful to go through, just revisiting it and getting that stuff that I carry with me that's part of my inner subconscious programming and, and hurting me every day, that stuff I was able to let go of, it really allowed for much more openness to receiving more love from, from my parents. My dad said that learning Torah and going through chemo has taught him patience. It was hard for him to unhook from his identity as a therapist. He would admit that he was a workaholic as I was growing up. And as an expert witness and being in the papers and sometimes on television, he really related to that part of himself. And it was very challenging for him when he didn't get to choose when his last day was. And frankly, probably would never have quit. So in a way, it's probably better that he was forced to because sometimes when we're forced to do things, usually all the time that that happens, anything that happens outside of ourself is always for good reason. He talked about Nathaniel Brazil, the first child that I believe was tried as an adult in the state of Florida back in 2001. He wasn't mentally ill per se. He had a psychotic break and it just goes to show that we need to do better as parents and teachers and community leaders to teach how to deal with moments of catastrophe thinking. So if, if a, a kid or a young adult or even a grown-up, a full-grown adult is having moments of catastrophizing and saying that's the end and they're having a psychotic meltdown or breakdown, we need to find ways of reaching out to one another and preventing loss of life. I think too often we're calling it, oh, well, that's this all could have been prevented because that person clearly was mentally ill. Or on the other hand, people say sometimes exclusively it's because we have guns. Well, it could be both of those things. And also it could be that we're not doing a great job of allowing people to have these moments of mental breakdown, mental unwellness. And we have to recognize it in the moment and also constantly be promoting healthy ways of dealing with stress, dealing with aggravation, dealing with hatred and frustration and, and promoting this on a regular basis so that when someone has those moments, they can take a time out. They can find a safe space. They can lean on someone to help them through it as opposed to just going towards the glorified violence that we see in so many mediums, be it video game or pornography, movies, television, or music, or even just something that they saw at home. Just terrible habits that have been passed down from generation to generation. And finally, we have to do better in terms of helping youngsters and ourselves to learn laws from God, some higher power, some sort of principles that answer to something bigger that allow us to not just have laws in place that are governmental, but something that makes us think, hmm, what would fill in the blank? Jesus, Buddha, God, Allah, um, any of the Hindi gods, what would that being, that supreme being want me to do in this moment? And what is my higher self? If you want to say God is inside of us, which I also believe that to be true. What does my higher self really want in this moment? If we were in the habit of doing that, and not looking to government or police to constantly police that from us, what would that look like? My dad's advice to what is one tool we can all use to have a life of pure freedom, he says, respect others for their rights, for their practice of democracy, encourage them to go as far as they can go without hurting themselves or their families. And finally, he says, you were born to develop yourself. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope that you're having a wonderful Father's Day or you're about to have a wonderful Father's Day celebration. And if you're not, celebrate anyway. Even if you're 
father or your parent is not physically here, light a candle for them. Say a prayer to them. Thank them for your life. Thank them for the light that they gave you, even if it was just a little bit. And really take some time to parent someone else and forgive yourself, forgive them for anything they may have said or done that hurt you, even if you felt their intentions were off. And just know that I'm sending you a hug from here. And I really appreciate you listening. Be well. If you know somebody with a great story about forgiveness, failure, or freedom, please share them with us. If you learned something new or feel like something from this episode could inspire someone else, please share the episode on your Facebook page or Instagram and tag that person and tag us too. You can find all of our social medias, drop us a note, or join our newsletter at www.c1beautifulsoul.com. Please don't forget to subscribe and review us on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you hear podcasts. May we all choose to look for the light in ourselves and each other in all ways, always. Always.